0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the May 7th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DeZoody. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to start today's uh, program by thanking my friend Patty Calhoun for set in for me last week. I had a, a quick week off, so it was uh, wonderful to know the show, as always, is in very capable hands in our friend Miss Calhoun. So thank you so much, Patty. So let's get started with this week. Colorado lawmakers have officially introduced the long-awaited transportation bill. The goal of the bill is to raise around $3.8 billion, that's with a B, in 11 years by charging fees for retail deliveries, fuel, ride shares, and registrations for electric vehicles. Patty, we'll start with you on this one. Um, We've been talking about transportation funding for a long time. Uh, This seems to be a creative way to go about it, but it's a whole lot of fees for $3.8 billion. What do you think?
1: Well. Watching them announce this is like you're getting on I-25 at what used to be rush hour. And you're like, wow, it's really kind of smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden you see the flashing lights and you know there could be trouble ahead. Because this seems surprisingly smooth. It's too bad they didn't do it a year ago because think of the, 27 per- the 27% fee on all those home deliveries. We would probably be at $3.8 billion by now. And when gas was below $2 a gallon, we wouldn't have minded 22 more cents. But we haven't had a gas increase in 30 years. It's gas t- tax increase. Gas yeah. tax increase. Um, it's time for that. That makes sense. But you can see that there are so many different fees involved here that someone is going to start complaining, despite how bipartisan the group looked on Tuesday when this was announced. When you had Jared Polis saying, we're going to build the damn roads. When you had John Southers, who had been against one 10, three years ago, supporting it, too. I just feel like we're going full speed ahead on I-25, but some troubles up ahead.
0: It's like getting on I-25 on Broadway. And you're like, oh, it's going to be great. And you turn the corner at Colorado. You're like, oh, oh, now I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true. Eric Saunderman, columnist from the Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics. It's wonderful to have you here in the studio. Uh, Eric, uh, this seems like a path around Tabor. That's really been the big sticking point for the last, I guess, I don't know, almost uh, 30 years now. Uh, Do you think it'll be effective? Is this gonna work? It
2: may work. I mean, there's an unquestioned need out there. I don't think anyone really argues with the need. It's what I call the twin Cs. You need more capacity, and you need to fix the condition of what we have. Uh, To the credit of the people, particularly given Democrats running uh, the whole scene at the Capitol, to the credit of the people involved in this, They didn't go as deep into the multimodal stuff and all the alternative forms of transportation as Democrats sometimes like to go. This is a road focused package. But per your question, Dominic, it is definitely an end run on Tabor because that is really the only way to get anything done these days. Um, statewide, large scale statewide tax increases just don't seem to fare very well. Local ones, that's a whole different proposition. So they've gone the fee route. I have a slight feeling that the person who is going to come after me uh, <laughs> via Skype might have something to say about that. Uh, but uh, the number of fees that are involved are very uh, are very substantial, very expansive. There is some logic to it, not per Tabor, but the logic is that those who use the roads should pay for the roads. Obviously the gas tax has been declining, you know, as cars have gotten far more efficient, um, uh, and as gas mileage has gone way up, we're not raising near as much money uh, off of that source of revenue, so you do need other revenues. Uh, For all the talk that there's been around transportation for many, many years in the legislature, you get the feeling that this package may be headed uh, for a signature eventually.
0: Well, it was a great preview we had from Eric. Uh, Michael Fields, executive director of Colorado Colorado Rising State Action, joins us uh, remotely. Michael, it's great to have you back on the program. Uh, You're known as a pretty uh, big uh, popular Tabor advocate online. Uh, But as we've seen this bill come out, there are some, uh, I'm not sure if it would be widespread. This wasn't, it's not going to be a unanimous vote, but there was some bipartisan support. Uh, Is that enough? to tamp down the, the, the Tabor part of this, or are we headed for some more fights on this one?
3: I think we're absolutely headed for more fights. I think that bipartisan uh, is very thin, uh, and I think everybody wants to improve the roads. We've been talking about this for, for years and, and decades. There's just a right way to do it and a wrong way, and the right way is starting by using uh, the majority of it in existing funds. Uh, our state budget's up to $34 billion. Uh, We got $12 billion for state and local governments uh, and federal funds for stimulus. And so that's money that should uh, go to roads, at least partially. Uh, But we did pass Proposition 117 last year, uh, which requires voter approval for big fees. And so they're trying to do legislative gymnastics to get around that. Obviously, they're they're, uh, renaming old enterprises and jamming uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into it. They're creating four enterprises trying to stay under this $100 million cap. Uh, People know what they're doing, and I think there's going to be a court challenge because of it. Uh, because these serve primarily the same purpose. We knew they would do something like this. And, and so we tried to head it off. We'll see what the courts say. But I think the important part is, you know, Governor Polis and other Democrats have said they strongly support Tabor. Polis said he, he believes in the right of voters to, to weigh in on tax increases. He just didn't mention that if it's a $4 billion fee increase, then, then it's perfectly fine. They can just ram it through. And so these are the kind of things you do when you think you have a permanent majority. And uh, I think this is going to be a a big topic during the midterms next year. and, And I think voters will get the last say in this after all.
0: Also, join us remotely, Wendy Howell, uh, the state director of Colorado's Working Families Party. Wendy, it's great to have you back on the program. Um, Wendy, it's not just Tabor uh, fans who are raising their eyebrow at this proposal. There's also a lot of folks saying that this is putting a pretty uh, heavy part of the bill on lower income folks in our communities uh, that, may, that should maybe have to uh, foot this part of the bill. Uh, when you look at what's uh, been presented so far, what's your reaction?
4: you know i uh, i think that overall we have structural problems in our tax code uh in colorado and what we have seen you know over this past year i think we all have come to terms with the fact or at least i suspect we all have that uh you know we need to adequately fund government services and because that is how we pool our resources to create common goods and meet common needs for example covid right? Um, but what we see in Colorado uh, and across the country, frankly, is that the ultra-rich are using our tax codes to enrich themselves as working people fall farther behind. Um, and I think we have fallen into a trap here in Colorado where we think, you know, it, it takes too much political will to really put this, uh, to put ask the people to fund this who should be funding it. Um, and I think I would challenge our state's elected officials to think a little bit more about that uh, and how they get the folks who are most able to pay to pay the biggest share of the cost.
0: Colorado is considering joining the state of Washington and pioneering a public-private health care model. Within the current plan, the state would enforce a rule in which private insurance companies must offer a Colorado option. The option would use set rates in an effort to lower overall insurance costs. The bill is currently being debated in the legislature. Eric, this is another huge topic the legislature is tackling, and the tweaks have really changed this. When we heard about this about a month ago, it was going to be the public option, now it's the public-private option, it's the Colorado option. Even the branding can't be decided, let alone what is uh, actually going to be the meat of the bill. Uh, How do you think this one's going? I think it may
2: uh, also get across the finish line, given the the Democratic dominance around the Capitol. Uh, You used the word tweaks, uh, Dominic. I don't think these have been tweaks. This was a wholesale strike below rewrite. In terms of the branding, you're dead on. This is – you can – Question the public side of whether it's a public option, because it's not public anymore. But you can also question the option side, because it's not all that optional. They have set up all these markers that these insurance companies have to hit. The markers are somewhat arbitrary. Now, an 18% reduction over a period of years. If they don't hit that mar- those markers, this new quote-unquote option, non-option option, goes into effect. It's mandated by the state, but it is run, you know, this would be through private insurance providers. Whatever you make of this bill, there is nothing terribly modest about it. But that goes in keeping with this whole legislative session. I mean, the, the, the expanse of what this legislature is trying to tackle and still will try to tackle in a very short number of weeks left, from the climate bill that the governor has pledged to veto, to gun legislation, to the stimulus money that they are distributing. I mean, the, the, the bottom line that people don't talk about is the state is really wash in money at the moment. Uh, to health care, uh, what, what have I left out of that list? Oh, that minor issue of transportation that we just talked about. I mean, for a legislature that started by saying we're just going to focus like a laser around the recovery and around the pandemic, uh, that laser has gotten really, really diffuse. It's a Lego
0: movie laser. Pew, 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 pew. (laughs) It's everywhere. Uh, Michael, uh, voters across the aisle, Democrat, Republican, Independent, everybody in between, nobody enjoys what we're paying for health care costs right now. But no one can agree on exactly what to do about it. Is there something here that you think uh, is a solution or just more fodder for maybe Republican or GOP lawmakers in the next election cycle?
3: Well, I think you have to, to come up with some solutions. Um, but the first thing is what the bill is in front of you. And uh, we can all agree that health care costs are too high. The question is, is more government involvement going to make things better or worse? In Washington state, as we mentioned, uh, they implemented a, a public option and their premiums didn't go down. They actually went up by 15%. Uh, this is being pitched as a compromise uh, that is not a fully, you know, it's not a public option. It just has all these uh, regulations and, and price reductions, uh, but it still fixes the, those prices. It still uh, makes it so that there's an 18% reduction uh, that has to happen. And my fear is that the consequences of that are felt by healthcare workers, healthcare workers who were, uh, you know, helping us through the last year uh, saving lives and so you look at you know, the impact that this could have at, on rural hospitals, on our healthcare system. I think these legislators are well-meaning, but they just lack expertise on this topic in general. And so I think you're going to have lower quality care cost shifting. I think uh, Republicans, conservatives need to talk about which uh, unnecessary mandates can be eliminated. How do you have true competition, not having the government come in and force it, but you have to drive down costs?
0: Wendy, one of the concerns uh, from some critics of this bill is that with all the different changes and tweaking, are the teeth being taken out of it and therefore will real change happen for uh, folks in the street or, or folks that, you know, in these individual and small group plans that are targeted to be benefited? But can they really be benefited if some of the industry is actually for this bill? If, if, if you're trying to tweak it, if you're trying to uh, uh, reform an industry and the industry is for it, some people are doubting if it's really going to make any change. What do you think about the real change possible from this bill?
4: You know, I will just start by saying that this uh, issue is personal for me. Uh, I have spent many years as an organizer working with healthcare workers, with frontline nurses and other caregivers. Uh, and So I've sat in the hospital break rooms uh, for hours on end talking to people about, you know, what they feel like uh, is wrong with healthcare. Um, And fundamentally the bottom line is that you know we have healthcare systems that are not being run by caregivers um and that is the refrain i hear over and over again from frontline caregivers and they're being run in a business model right and so i would have i would be remiss if i didn't say that i'm a little bit frustrated to see that business model healthcareism uh which focuses on what businesses focus on which is the bottom line Um, creeping into this bill, um, because frankly, it's, you know, I think we should be centering the voices of caregivers, and I think we should be centering the voices of patients, uh, and that business leaders should not be driving changes in this bill.
0: Patty, this is an enormous issue along what we just talked about with transportation and others waiting for the legislature to tackle, and May is already seven days through. There's not a whole lot of time left on the legislative calendar. Is this going to cross the finish
1: line? Well, even if it makes it out of the House today, which it probably will, we're going to see some fighting in the Senate. As Wendy said, all of a sudden it's become much more kind of a business and even business friendly bill, as opposed to what it was originally set out to do, which is help the people who have not really been helped by the Affordable Care Bill, who are still facing really big bills from a a business that is making a lot of money even in this horrible year when we've relied so much on our healthcare professionals the people who are working on the front lines they're not necessarily benefiting the way the healthcare industry bigwigs are on this so i think we'll see some some changes coming in the senate will it cross the line let's see eric said yes so i'm going to say no <laughs>
0: <laughs> Always a good bet at this Money table. table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Governor yeah. Polis recently announced an amendment to mask regulations. Masks won't be required for indoor events as long as 80% of the attendees have been vaccinated. Meanwhile, in Denver, Mayor Hancock has asked that downtown employees head back to the office. Uh, Michael, we start with you on this one. Uh, I can understand uh, Mayor Hancock's urgency behind, hey, let's get people back downtown that'll help small businesses, things like that. I don't know if that suddenly changes the uh, post-COVID or soon to be post-COVID employee model, but that's not for me to determine. When you look at how we're handling this next step of COVID, uh, changing mask mandates, everything else, how do you think it's going?
3: Well, I think it's, it's hard. You know, we've never gone through this before. And so uh, I think the good news, though, is that we're heading in the right direction. More people are getting vaccinated. Uh, that means more people are going back to work. They're shopping. They're eating out. I've seen a lot more people out and about uh, in these last couple months. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how this, you know, verifying vaccination uh, thing is going to work. I don't know uh, how you're verified or who's going to verify it. Um, but I think, you know, obviously there are other counties that are on that level green. Uh, that don't have to have masks indoors right now. And and I think you're right. Regarding Denver, it, it's no surprise that the mayor is going to say, everybody come back, you know, 135,000 people uh, work in downtown Denver. And, uh, you know, they they want to get that economy back moving downtown for sure. But I think you're right. The employers, you know, it's ultimately up to employers. And I think a lot of them are going to change their models because there's been, uh, you know, in some areas, a rise in productivity, uh, pro- productivity for people being home. And so it's yet to be seen how all these changes will impact everything.
0: You know, Wendy, you know, when I walk into an establishment, I can tell if someone's wearing a mask or not, but I can't easily tell if they've been vaccinated or not. And I can just imagine as much trouble business people had to asking customers coming in, can you put on a mask? Imagine <laughs> what it's going to be like. Can you now show me your verified vaccination card? Uh, so uh, do, you, do you think we're headed for some uh, more difficult times with less mandates from governments and now more businesses having to make that call one way or the other for their patrons?
1: Yeah,
4: you know, um, that's a good question. Uh, I think human beings are interesting, right? Even amongst my friends and compatriots, I have some folks who have been like absolutely raring to go, ready to be back in big crowds and eating out and all of that. And some who are like, you know, I kind of like this being at home a lot more and cooking more at home. And so I'm really curious to see kind of, um, you know, long term behavioral shifts. There's a lot of folks saying that if we're we're headed back towards kind of the roaring 20s, you know, um, another roaring 20s and for similar reasons. Uh, and I certainly hope that's true, but I have no idea whether it is or not. Um, And as for the, uh, you know, checking whether people are vaccinated, I honestly have no idea. But I can say that frontline workers have learned how to adapt uh, to folks who don't like to conform to the rules. And so I suspect they have developed some skills along those lines.
0: And Patty, I'm very interested in finding out how businesses might handle this, because if I own a bar and I can prove and I can know that everybody in there is vaccinated, it can be like February 2020. Party on, we're ready to go. But if, if if I can't guarantee that, do I need to put everyone in a mask or at the very least protect my bartenders and my wait staff and people like that? I could see some businesses being pretty hardcore about show me your vaccination card. I can see other businesses saying, it's, it's all over. Don't worry about it. Um, and everybody in between. What do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, I think we're going to see a lot more rules coming down as the state and the city shift. We've already seen it a couple of times this week saying, well, we didn't quite mean that. This is what we mean, because the issue is, can you actually demand a vaccination card? If you're an employer, can you demand that your employees be vaccinated The rules go in and out. If you're a business, can you actually demand that people either wear masks or show their card? There have been threats of lawsuits over that, too, with a few restaurants that want to do it. On the other hand, you want to keep your employees safe. And if you're a restaurant, you're going to want to make sure that people are vaccinated if they can be. I've been... Well, I've been out and about every day, actually, since this started. I've been downtown, and the first time I couldn't find a parking place downtown was the day of the press conference at Union Station to announce that Denver's back in business. It's not quite that close, but you do see people eager to get out, but they also still want to feel safe. And we're at that high plateau. We are not trending down as fast as we would like to. So I think we'll see some new rules coming up as people are confused. For example, in a grocery store, you are still supposed to wear a mask.
0: Uh, Eric, uh, the term independent cuss has been used to describe many Coloradans. Uh, Do you think that is going to help us or hurt us as we're trying to get out of this next phase of COVID?
2: More hurt than help to the extent that that sort of frontier mentality still exists in the state. Uh, You know, the wonderful things about cowboy lore, but in a public health uh, pandemic, public health crisis, you also need some compliance and some uh, rule rule following, not just rule breaking. Uh, I think the whole Hancock thing, it was a predictable press conference, but... You know, let's at least hope he's working from his office so that we don't have a repeat of the situation back in November when he told no one not to travel. And then he traveled. Now he's saying everyone come downtown. Let's at least assume that um, he's working downtown. I think it's going to be a good long time, if ever, before those office buildings downtown look like they did pre-March of 2020. I think the the work world is changed and has changed in some fundamental ways. Yes, people would be going back in the office, but they might be to workstations as opposed to that coveted corner office. It might be two or three days a week when you have to go to a meeting and need a conference room. Uh, I don't think the world is going to just go back to what it was 14, 15 months ago.
0: Let's get a quick take on this last one. Denver is considering using the missing middle to help solve a housing crisis. Last Tuesday, more than 12 Denver area mayors met with the mayor of Minneapolis alongside business leaders and housing experts to discuss the strategy of transitioning into more duplex and triplex settings. Mayor Jacob Frey of Minneapolis has banned single family housing and gradually utilized more than missing middle housing in an effort to create more equitable zoning. Wendy, we start with you and your quick take here. Uh, is this a good idea? for denver to adopt
4: you know um i don't know about going so far as to ban single family housing but uh, i think there's a balance to strike here um because what we see is you know in some of i'll speak to denver specifically in some of denver's neighborhoods uh we see corporate developers coming in and building things that completely are out of character with the neighborhoods i think You know, uh, the Highlands is a great example of some of that, where you have sort of traditional Denver brick homes next to kind of monstrosities where on a single family lot, they've put together five modern, you know, condos that are just like, do not fit in the neighborhood. Um, And those things aggravate gentrification Um, But I do think that when you're talking about accessory dwelling units, which actually enable homeowners to build wealth uh, in their communities, you know, do things like build uh, apartments over their garages that they can rent out or remodel their basement to make it a separate apartment, that sort of stuff. um, That absolutely keeps fits in character with the neighborhood, does not aggravate gentrification uh, and displacement of black and brown communities, and it helps build wealth. Uh, for those homeowners um, instead of for the big corporate developers that just want to do scrapes. So I think we need to find a balance in Denver uh, that empowers homeowners and accessory dwelling units.
0: Patty, what do you think? The missing middle? It's a good idea for Denver?
1: Well, we've seen what's happened with some of those duplexes. They put on lots that used to be single-family homes, and they build them out to the corners and charge a million dollars for those townhouses. So it is not necessarily a – duplexes alone are not the solution. We need some other plans.
0: Duplexes, triplexes—sooner or later, we're talking about a lot of a lot of houses here, Eric. What do yeah, you think? I mean, what Patty said is dead on the mark.
2: When I first heard this phrase, "missing middle," I thought it was a commentary on our political system. <laughs> uh, but with respect to this, I'm a. I'm not sure I want to use Minneapolis as a guidepost for much of anything right now. B. This is not going to be the last time we talk about this broad issue around the table. I think we're heading for a ballot issue this fall, probably to possibly repeal what city council and the mayor recently passed on multifamily housing, et cetera, this issue is going to heat up.
0: Michael, wrap it up for us.
3: Yeah, I think housing is a huge issue. You know, 73% of Coloradans say that the cost of housing is unaffordable. And so it has to be part of the discussion, but the actual solutions uh, do matter. You know, inventory uh, across the metro area is rising, which is good, but not fast enough. There's still a lot of projects that are being held up um, and we want safe building, but, uh, we also need to, to pick up the pace on it some. So I, I think it's a good discussion. I don't think that what Minneapolis did, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense here in, in Denver area, though.
0: gonna pick up the pace, let's do our Disgrace of the Week uh, with a picked-up pace uh, attitude. Patty, as always, start us off.
1: I've spent a lot of time on the plains of Colorado. I'm a fairly lovable person, and no one has ever used the affectionate term buckwheat for me.
0: <laughs> Eric. <clears throat>
2: Uh, Also out of the legislature, uh, new Denver Representative Jen Bacon. Jennifer Bacon has a bill in, House Bill 1295, which is just a bit of toxic retribution. She is also a Denver Public School Board member because apparently one job is not enough for her. And they got bounced by the State Board of Education on an appeal. So she's now trying to eliminate the State Board of Education's authority over appeals on charter school issues.
0: Michael, you're a disgrace of the week.
3: I actually have the same one that that Eric did, uh, this bill to make it easier for school districts to block charter schools. Uh, But I think school choice has always been a bipartisan issue, and so it's too bad that it's getting more divisive at the Capitol.
0: Wendy, you're a disgrace of the week.
4: Um, I'm going to have to go ahead and say the the several GOP senators uh, this week who decided to take to the floor to talk a whole lot about why diaper theft uh, is, a, is a giant issue that Colorado should be concerned about uh, when the legislature was debating about funding diaper banks uh, for families who are struggling to pay for diapers for their kids. Um, pretty sure diaper theft is not the state's most pressing issue.
0: Time to say something nice. Bumper sticker edition. Patty. Patty.
1: Pick up our Best of Denver issue, which has hundreds of nice things in it.
0: Here, here, Eric. Our U.S. Representative in the
2: state to the north of us, Representative Liz Cheney, for speaking truth to power, and power is not liking it very much. Michael.
3: There have been uh, several bipartisan bills on mental health this session, uh, including creating the Behavioral Health Administration, writing mental health checks for students. So I applaud legislators uh, working together on this important issue.
0: And Wendy.
4: Uh, I'm going to just give a shout out, out, excuse me, to Senator Jesse Danielson uh, for her incredible advocacy for agricultural workers in Colorado.
0: And I want to use our last moments here to remind you that on May 26th, we will have our live online broadcast. That's right, online only via our website, YouTube, Facebook, The Works. May 26 to 7 p.m. You get to be part of the show. Uh, you can take your questions and email them to cio at pbs12.org. We're going to be very excited to feature your questions and input. It's your chance to talk to the panel. We'll have uh, Patty, David, Eric, uh, Penn, and Natasha all here answering questions about how the show gets done, uh, the kind of things you want to talk about. You get to be part of the program, but it It is online only and a way that you can be able to support the program that you hopefully love since you're watching right now. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.